0: Today I sit down with Fred Odom. Fred is a young man. He's 26 years old and works at corporate Chick-fil-A. I coach Fred. He graduated from Elka in 2011. The reason why I chose to interview Fred is it's been he it has been amazing to watch the transformation of him in Jesus Christ since I coached him in high school where I saw no fruits of the Holy Spirit. And now at 26 years old, he is a Christian who influences me and encourages me for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is also unique about Fred and why I chose to interview him today is Fred is an African-American young man working in corporate America. And this week you had all this stuff go on with Colin Kaepernick. And all it did was you uh, ignite racial tension in America. And I'm not one to join one side or the other. I am one to sit down and try to understand the perspectives of other people. So we talk about all kinds of things in today's show with Fred, a black man making it in corporate America, a, a black man living today in America, a a black man as a Christian in today's America and how can God use him to influence the world around him for Jesus Christ. We talk about marriage. We talk about all kinds of things and I think this is probably one of the best interviews we've had. Fred is is a very dynamic person. You know, the sky's the limit with what God will do with him. But before we start the interview, I want everybody to think about a few things. In our world, we label groups of people, we label generations. We have what we we call millennials, Generation Z and so on. And I don't even understand all that stuff. What we are saying is a group of people are molded and shaped by their environment that they grew up in. And they all hold similar characteristics which this is probably true. However, as Christians, God calls us to pursue his excellence and be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We are to put on Christ whatever cultural influences or environmental influences with which may be shaped and molded, molded us as we grew up should not define us as christians as christians we are called to not be enslaved to how the world defines us or to engage in tribal allegiances from 2 peter 2 9 so in Christ, we are a chosen race. We are not black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Chinese, Japanese. We are not a we are not a specific race, but now we are a chosen race in Jesus Christ. And I, I tell this to everybody. Jesus bled red. Every single person, every single human in this world, when they bleed, they bleed red. As Christians, we are to die to our identity in this world and identify with Christ. We are called to be transformed and then redeem the culture around us. Even though you may be black, white, uh, Chinese, Hispanic, American, whatever, there is no long—that that is no longer your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. You are so much more than your race, your nationality. You are a child of God, the creator and savior of this world. But make no, make no mistake, in this present world, Satan constantly is dividing men and women over identity. And the world is constantly taking the bait. How then can we as Christians live in this present world for the glory of Jesus Christ? How can we refuse to fall into the trap of division that is all around us? You know how. By getting to know each other and respecting each other, and in spite of differences, listening to each other, and every relationship you have, give it to the Lord and let the Lord redeem each relationship, sanctify each relationship. Christians, we are not called to be like the world, but we are called to redeem the world We are not called to conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. Fred Odom is an example of this. Fred, thanks for talking with us today, and I hope everybody enjoys the show. All right, Fred. So I remember you in high school. I was your high school football coach, and... I remember, this is what I remember about you, Fred. I remember you in the ninth grade or maybe it was the eighth grade. And then I know that, uh, tuition might've started costing too much at Elka. Your parents moved you out to Eagles Landing. And I thought that was going to be the Eagles Landing high school. I thought it was gonna be the last time I saw you, but I think in the 10th grade you came back and, you know, I started to get to know you then. And, you know, one thing I always noticed about you, you were a hard worker. Um, I wouldn't say that I thought that you were a strong Christian in high school. I didn't really kind of, I couldn't peg you one way or the other. I know you wanted to be good at football. I know that you strive to to work hard and be successful. Um, talk about your identity in high school and who you mm-hmm. were. And I mean, it must've been hard trying to be the best football player and your best friends are Matt Rochelle and, Isaac Rochelle and Keontae Green, all these kids that are studs on the football field and getting all the glory back then. Uh, Talk a little bit about that.
1: Man, yeah. Well, Coach, I think even to your first, like, kind of comment about Eagles Landing High School, tuition might have seemed like the outward reason of why I would want to leave Elka for a year and go to Eagles Landing High School and then come back. But in reality, that was part of an identity thing, too, because, growing up in a predominantly white context I never felt like I truly fit in with my white friends because I was black and I just looked different and then with my black friends never thought I truly fit in because I talked a little bit different or had different interests because of the group context I grew up in so there was this constant tug of like man Fred actually doesn't fit in anywhere so I think part of my pursuit of Eagle Landing High School was just to say man what would it be like to not be the minority for a change and like to go somewhere where I could have more of that culturally black experience, if you will. Um, and I mean, it was a great experience. I'm glad I went through it. However, it was again, just chasing identity stuff and not recognizing that ultimately I can have the best identity in Christ and it doesn't come from my skin color. So I would say that's like the first piece for Eagles Landing high school. But then for the football side, man, it was, man, it was tough. Like, I, I mean, my graduating class was probably the most kids at that time we had had to go D1 probably ever in Elka history, like Matt's going to Air Force, Christian's going to Virginia Tech, Isaac's getting looked at, Keontae's getting looked at, DJ Kerr, like all these different things started happening. And I was just like, God, I, um, I know you've gifted me. Why does it seem like no schools are looking at me? And, and it was funny because I was talking to God about that, but in reality, I wasn't pursuing it pursuing a relationship with him, it was, again, he was just a means to an end to get what I ultimately wanted, which was football. So I would write the verses on my arm tape before games and all that type of stuff. And man, I would work so hard to try to hear that well-done, good, and faithful servant, but the problem was I was trying to hear that from my friends, which would never satisfy. I was trying to hear that from you, which would never satisfy, and I was trying to hear that from prospective college coaches, which ultimately wouldn't satisfy either. So, man, I was in this constant spiral of chasing the football stuff, and that couldn't do it. So, I was like, okay, well, maybe it's the weight room. So, I started lifting a lot more, and you were pushing me in that. I got this iron charger award my senior year, but that still wasn't enough. And then I thought it would be relationships, so pursuing different girls and things like that. And ultimately, that wasn't enough either. So, man, on the outside, I looked like this guy who not I had it all together, but man, high on life, full of joy. Yet on the inside, it was just like, God, I don't know where I belong.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you were really messed up, and and I'm not. I'm just kind of making a joke because we. we <laughs> before Christ, you know, we're trying to identify with anything in this world and the world. And and at the end of the day, Satan is the prince of this world. He is the king of this world. And he wants us to identify with all these different things because his main mission and goal is to divide us. And so here you are, you graduate high school, you don't get the scholarship for football that you wanted and you probably didn't get in the school that you wanted to get into, and I you end up going to North Georgia military. Talk us through that a little bit, and how Christ started to work on you and your identity at North Georgia um, military. Yeah, man. So, yeah, as you said, like, got to senior year, didn't get the offers
1: from schools that I wanted, was looking at different colleges, and my dad had always wanted me to go towards the military route, and decided on North Georgia for a few different reasons. I mean, um, went up to the campus, loved it, it was beautiful, heard about like the civilian aspects of it as well, along with the military stuff. There was a lot that drew me to it, but man, it's funny because going there, I would have said, I was a Christian, and honestly, Coach Guest, I think I I was just super immature in my faith. Right. Um, like I, I think I gave my life to Christ like my ju- late junior year, but man, the Lord didn't really start grabbing my heart until my freshman year of college. But um, yeah, went up to North Georgia, and I remember we had like a company basketball game. I was in the Corps of Cadets there, and you're broken up into different companies. And we had a company basketball game, like, in our first week there. And I remember I volunteered to pray before one of the games because that's what we did at Elka. So you just volunteer to pray before games. And um, I volunteered to pray. We played the game, did well, all that jazz. But a guy who was the senior who played on the team with us, he asked me afterwards if I would go to dinner with me. He was like, man, thanks for praying. We'd love to just talk with you some. So we go out to dinner together. And, man, what was interesting is that all I wanted to talk with him about was how to date a godly girl and how to pursue a godly girl. And all he wanted to talk to me about was Jesus. <laughs> and man, at that moment, I saw like, huh, we're pursuing very different things. Because for me, Jesus was a means to an end. But for him, Jesus was his end. Right, And so he started, man, like meeting up with me really weekly. He got me a new Bible, got me like a journal, got me this discipleship book. And man, he truly started showing me like what it meant to walk like Christ and to be like Jesus. Like I had surrendered my life to the Lord, but was just super immature with how I was pursuing him. And my desires were still completely wrapped up in worldly success. And so man, he just started intentionally pouring into me and praying for me taking me to different events that he went to. And and man, throughout that freshman year, God just started shifting my perspective on, man, maybe I can't attach my, my true identity to this Jesus thing because football couldn't cut it and relationships couldn't cut it and the weight room couldn't cut it. So maybe there's something eternal that I can actually hold on to that'll have a lasting impact on my life.
0: Okay. And, and Fred, I'm going to get to your pursuit of Chick Fil A corporate, but talking has has prompted this question. I think it's probably the most important question. Here you are, you want you know you have the desire to date a godly woman, and you just want to use Jesus to get that woman. But what Jesus wants to do is introduce you to Jesus, and mm-hmm. let Him be your King, and then let and then uh, and then have you allow jesus to handle all the other things that you're worried about talk a little bit about how god had you meet your wife because your sole mission Mm. to meet a girl through jesus but then jesus kind of convicted you no man you need to get you need to know me before you worry about a girl talk about that uh aspect of things
1: yeah, man, absolutely. Um, now I remember I had a, a youth pastor in high school that would say, like, focus less on the woman you're trying to meet and focus more on the man that you're becoming. Because if you become that man, that woman will naturally show up. And I didn't really take that to heart then. But my freshman year of college, like, as I started meeting with this guy who was pouring in me, his name was Joel Whetstone, and he started discipling me. Like, man, just being more involved in that, like focusing more on like using my free time, okay, let me read more of the Bible and like and like write God's word more and more on my heart and try to be that light for other people, man, my whole freshman year like didn't really meet a girl who I started pursuing or anything like that, but then my first semester sophomore year had come back from the summer, man, had a good summer, was like truly running after the Lord at this point. And I remember I had just finished playing a flag football game with the team that I was on. And I was on another team that was like a co-rec flag football team as well. And um, I remember we had a practice right after and a buddy came up to me. He's like, hey, are you going to be able to stay for practice? And I was pledging for my fraternity. Then I was like, man, no way I'm going to be able to stay. And he said, oh, by the way, I wanted to introduce you to this girl named Becca Adams. I was like, and I met her and I was like, oh, I think I can stay for practice to that." And um and man stayed I stayed for practice and and played absolutely awful like it was probably the worst I've ever played um but man just something was just different about her and I mean I didn't know anything about her heart at that point but just something that was different about her and then as I got to know her more like yes there was a physical attraction component that I believe has to exist there but man more than anything I saw the way that she one loves Jesus. Two, like loved her friends and truly pursued them. And then three, that, that she didn't need my approval, but she wanted me to be a part of her life. And I think that was a really unique thing because she had an incredible father who raised her to know that her ultimate identity, her ultimate worth comes from Jesus. So she wasn't looking for me to fill that because I couldn't fill that anyway. So she was in a super healthy place when we started our relationship because she knew that her satisfaction couldn't come from me and never would come from me. So that freed us up to be able to care for each other in a unique way. So man, that's how the Lord like started our relationship. We dated all through college, and um, man, did wait to become intimate until we were married, and that was another just huge blessing for both of us. But um, but yeah, man, I would say, yeah, the Lord brought me my wife when my eyes were fixed on him and I honestly wasn't even looking.
0: Wow. That's crazy, man. All right. So here's the deal. Um, you ever since I've, I've talked to you after college, you always had this dream of working for Chick-fil-A. Like that was kind of your goal and, and you finally achieved that. Talk about the process of Mm. achieving that goal. Um, and Fred, you know, I always forget how old alumni are. I mean, how old are you right now?
1: Right now, 26.
0: All right, 26. I get so confused. Um, everybody, when you, when you get my age, 40, everybody's the same age, you know, old people, are <laughs> young people are your age, it's like time stands still, except you're still getting older. But, um, right, talk about that a little bit. You graduate college, okay, and you have this dream. I don't even know why your dream was to work at Chick-fil-A corporate, but just talk us through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll start with the the why behind Chick-fil-A as like a long-term goal and then talk more about like how it actually played out. So the why for Chick-fil-A, man, so I was a team member at a restaurant during my time in college. and, And, man, there's just something very unique about the brand. And, like, for me personally, I got to experience working at literally the front register and like giving a person like a customer their meal I and mean, then seeing the joy that came on their face. And what was crazy is knowing that like all the work done at this support center home office funnels down to like one team member having one interaction with a guest and that can completely shape their day. I mean, there was just something really cool about that to me and really inspiring about that for me. And so that's what, like, originally excited me about the brand, yet my road there wasn't exactly as direct as I would have hoped. It wasn't this, like, graduated college, had an internship, went straight into Chick-fil-A. Um, so when I graduated, I went to a company called SAS, and they're a software analytics company, a really good company, like, similar to a Chick-fil-A, and they moved me out to North Carolina, lived there for six months in a Marriott hotel, commuted back and forth, and, um, and man really just learned like the sales process. They chose like 28 college grads from all over the country. So I was blessed enough to get chosen for that. And man, just spent the six months just learning and developing and maturing. And then at the end of the six months, the catch was you have to move wherever we tell you. And so moved, they shipped me out to Austin, Texas. And the first account I was working with was General Motors. And so out living in Austin, Beck and I were still dating, weren't married at the time. She was still back at school, finishing up work. And then just man started diving into that, selling software analytics to General Motors. And it was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot, was getting to travel a good bit. Like everything was overall going well. And um, and six months into that, Becca and I got married. She moved out to Austin. So we were just kind of living our life in Austin. And honestly, Chick-fil-A was really off the radar at that point, didn't see us moving back or anything like that. But there hit a point where my wife said, like, hey, I think I want to go back to grad school. And there weren't a lot of schools in Texas that she was looking at, but one she was interested in was Georgia State. And they had a new occupational therapy program that she was excited to get started in. And at that same time, one of my buddies who I met during my time in North Carolina with Seth, he was planning a church in like the Smyrna Marietta area. And so there were a lot of different drawers, like moving us back towards Georgia. And so talked with Seth, they gave us the blessing. We were able to move back to Atlanta. So got back to Atlanta, back to starting in grad school. I'm still working with SAS with a different set of accounts and honestly, just kind of living life like, man, and was truly blessed. I was making more than I thought I would at my stage of career. Like everything was overall going well and then continued in the sales route for another year or so. So I had been at SAS for about about three years and I met a guy named David Williams, who he went to a CrossFit gym that I worked out at. And the first time we met, just really connected on Timothy Keller sermons and stuff like that. And then we started, man, just meeting up like monthly. And he would just disciple me, mentor me, talk about business stuff, life stuff, all that jazz. And he worked for Chick-fil-A. And so there hit a point where I said, you know what, man, I think I want to work for Chick-fil-A as well. And if anyone listening has ever tried to get in Chick-fil-A or is in Chick-fil-A, you know that it is a very hard company to get into. And so still working at SAS, yet had more of an interest in Chick-fil-A, applied for a few roles and was turned down from them. So there that identity thing starts to creep in a little bit more. And, um, and man, ultimately my way into Chick-fil-A was through contracting. And so I left SAS, which was stable company. They were ranked number four best company to work for at the time that I was with them. And essentially left them for a 12-month contract position. Hmm. And you can imagine my parents, my in-laws, And even Becca, to some extent, were looking at me kind of funny, like, man, you're going to leave this incredible company where you're making incredible money at 22, 23, 24, and you're going to go and and really contract and just see what happens. And I was like, yeah, I just, I don't know, I feel like the Lord's leading me towards this company and and I just want to give it a shot. And so, man, left Sass, went to contract with Chick-fil-A and did that for close to a year, and then ultimately was brought on staff with Chick-fil-A in December. So I've been officially a Chick-fil-A employee for a little over six months now. So man, I would say the, the jump was definitely worth it, yet it wasn't this like straightforward, smooth process to get here.
0: Man, it's, that's a crazy story. Um, talk a little bit how Christ, from when you graduated college, obviously you're making all these decisions, right? You're, you're making a decision to get married. You're making a decision to leave this very good company and, 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 and jump over to Chick-fil-A and not even as an employee, but as a contractor. And talk about how God used that, all these things from 21 to 26, to grow you. Because God is, in the, is, you know, he calls us as we are as sinners, mm. and then he's going to sanctify us. He's constantly growing us in Jesus Christ. And that's what I've seen in you, Fred, is you growing in Christ. Talk about how God has done that from 21 to 26 years old. Mm.
1: Man, um, do you mind if I have like a work answer and a marriage answer? No, no
0: because you have to. <laughs>
1: yeah. Man. But, hey, so i will mean, God
0: sanctifies start with... us through our marriage. <laughs> Yeah, man. Amen. Um, so
1: I will start with the work one and then go to the marriage one. I think for the work one, man, it, it sums up to that same word identity. So man, it's funny because in high school, as you said, identity was primarily built on football. Like that was the identity. And then as I got into college, it was like, okay, like, christ is going to be my new identity yet man we have to daily kill the desires of the flesh and so after graduating that identity started shifting a little bit again where it was like i was still pursuing jesus but i felt that coming back up of man i can pursue this like business thing is my identity and like the core of who i am too because again man coming from north georgia like a lot of students who went there didn't go to companies like SAS. So, man, there were a lot of articles being written up about me. And then my first assignment, I was working with General Motors, like that's another huge company. And so I was in like my school's annual newsletter, like all this stuff was happening. And at my core, I thought I was still keeping Christ at the center. Yet, there was a lot of pride and identity issues that started to well up in that. And so man, leaving that and then going to really a contract position at this company that I was so interested in and so passionate about, like, I lost that. Like, no longer were people necessarily writing up these articles and asking me to do these speaking engagements. I was kind of just working. And I, mean, I didn't realize how much of my identity had been built up on that approval of man now in the business world, as much as it was in football. But man, this time, I think what was the big difference is that I knew my identity was in Christ. So it was just an opportunity to press deeper into him and be reminded that ultimately I am who he says I am and not who the world says I am. So man, it was a hard season really from 21 through 26 of processing through that and praying through that. And man, honestly, in ways still praying through that and processing through that, man, ultimately, I would say identity has been the biggest piece still. And, and that reminder that my identity has to remain in Christ. Um, I mean, one, one quick note I'll add to that before I jump to the marriage one as well is that I feel like having your identity in Christ is a statement that a lot of Christians use, but very few talk about like, how do you actually do that? And like, what does that actually mean? So I, mean, I think specifically for me, the how I pursued my identity within Christ was like, man, daily time just, individually in his word and diving into like, who is it that Jesus was and who is it that he's called me to be? And then man, really looking into the Psalms and seeing like David's life, who was the king of Israel and the highs and lows that he faced with identity crisis as well. And man, using the Psalms as a way to pray through the stuff that I've been struggling with. um I think about like Psalm 73, where it says like, there is nothing on heaven and earth that I desire more than you, like, nothing can satisfy me more than you can, like, all those different phrases, I started just praying to myself daily, because I didn't believe them fully, but needed God to do that work in my heart, so I'll say that's, like, the quick aside, and then for the marriage piece, man, again, similar to, like, that kind of how, a lot of people talk about, like, loving your wife as Christ loved the church, and that sounds really cool, it sounds like a cool thing to put on a coffee mug, but if we really think about what that means, like, Like, Jesus hung on a cross for his bride. Like, he laid down his, life. it was super messy, super ugly, and he did that for his bride. So, like, what does that look like for me caring for Becca in that way? And what I found is that, man, it's not in the huge things that I would do when we were dating. Like, these crazy dates that she's never been on before, never experienced before. Like, yeah, that stuff has its place. But man, the real way I love her is Christ loved the church is daily getting up a little bit before her and hitting my knees and asking God to protect her, to draw her heart near to him praying scripture over her like man taking intentional time where the phones are put away and just listening to her like man those are the types of things that enable me to love her as Christ loved the church because again we say that in a broad statement but I think how we see Christ live that out is like looking in the gospels of the way he loved his disciples like that's the way we're called to love our spouses
0: and so yeah I would say like
1: those are the two big things that the Lord's been doing over the past
0: like five years. Wow, man, you just preached to me. You just let me know how I need to love my wife. Um, but, you know, Fred, I'll tell you this, man, I'm 40 years old, and identity is something that we will always struggle with. And I think it's because, of, well, it's real simple. You know, we're fallen creatures. Jesus came to save fallen man. And this side of heaven, we live in a body of death, we live in a body mm. that is in rebellion against the Holy Spirit, yet we have the Holy Spirit inside of us as well. So you live in this constant tension a little bit, and the only way the Holy Spirit overcomes the flesh is to constantly be abiding, John 15 and 16, be abiding in Christ, and that's constant, like, give me a day where I neglect to abide in Christ Mm. and neglect to pursue Him then my flesh and my identity of this world will quickly overcome who I am in Christ. And that doesn't mean I'm not a Christian, but that means I will get way off track. And and so it's a war, and we have to remember that you know we are in a war while we are on this side of heaven. And the only way we win the war is through the power of Jesus Christ living in us and through us, and we must constantly feed that. And so, um, you know, <clears throat> so the identity thing is just something we're always going to have to deal with. I constantly ask myself, is this for God's glory or is it for my glory? Because so much of what I do is for my mm. glory. And, um, you know, we're, we're desperate for the approval of man because we're fallen. And, and God constantly... Yeah, man tells us not to. So that kind of leads me into the next question. Cause <clears throat> you know, since, um, since you left Elka, um, you know, Elka probably when you were, were Eagles landing Christian Academy, when you were there, we we're probably 10%, maybe 15% African-American in our student body population. Now we're probably 50%. Uh, so you, you would have had your fix there. You would have never had to go into Eagles landing but you would have wanted to go to Eagles landing for other reasons. You could have had the haircut you wanted, whatever. Um, (laughs) There's always another reason to go to a public school, but you know, the the big thing that I feel like that must be fought now didn't necessarily, necessarily feel like this when you were in school, but there's such a divide in America between white Mm -hmm. and black America and, and and it's no doubt that the news plays on this. And, and if you ask me whether it be Fox News or whether it be CNN, the prince of this world is in control of both. He wants to divide America, you know, and he'll use any means which he can to divide you and your wife. He, and, and so, yeah. you know, I'm just talking about, you know, black men, white men, um, It's, it's, you know, when you watch the news, you watch TV, it's like they're two completely different creatures, which is, which is not true. That's not what God, that's not what God did. God Mm. created people of different color to show how his magnificent, magnificent. Yeah, man. He's, he's so, he's beyond white or black or, or Hispanic or whatever, but here's the, deal. I just want to ask you a few questions. Um, that kind of can talk about this, but, you know, so here you are a black man in corporate America and I hear, you know, the black men I talk to all the time say that a black man can't make it in corporate America. And honestly, Fred, yeah, a black men are really still kind of of the thought. The, and you mentioned this, the way I can make it is through sports or entertainment but I don't see that's how it is in America anymore. And I think you are an example. Like I'm trying to get, for me, I'm trying to talk to our, our, our black boys. I'm like, quit trying to play for the NFL and try to own an NFL team. Don't sell Mm -hmm. yourself short. So here Mm -hmm. you are, no one paved the way for you. You know, you don't come from rich parents, or anybody that could pave the way for you sports didn't pave the way for you acting singing nothing paved the way for you but here you are working for corporate chick-fil-a what what are some words of wisdom that you have uh for us just thoughts that come to mm. your mind
1: yeah man i would say so the the one like kind of correction i would make is man there were people that did pave the way for me my mom worked in corporate America, Wachovia. My dad owns his own accounting business. So like I saw African Americans that were successful in business, but where I will follow up and say that you're, you're right is I didn't see a ton of African American males growing up who were quote unquote, like climbing the corporate ladder. So I just didn't know what that looked like. Um, but man, the words of wisdom I would give, um, man, I think, man, so I think part of it is for, for at least for me as a young African-American man, when I was playing football, man, I wanted that, that impact, right? Like all of us want our lives to mean something. And what I saw was like Odell Beckham or like as an example for today, like he's the one who's having this massive impact on the world and all of us want to have that. But man, as I've gotten older, I think what I've seen is that although his impact may be broader, man, my impact has the opportunity to go deeper. And man, when we look at how Jesus truly lived his life, regardless of your religious beliefs, you would be far stretched to find someone who had a greater impact on the world. Like Jesus had the greatest impact on the world. But if we look tactically at what he did, he invested in 12 people, really in three who were his close knit community that ultimately now had a reach on the entire globe. And so, man, when I think about that for my life, It's a lot harder for like my buddy Isaac, who's playing for the Chargers right now. It's a lot harder for him to get to go deep with people because his world is so crazy. Whereas for me, since I'm not having that level of popularity, I can go truly deep with a number of people. And by God's grace, that can be used to have a wave of impact that stretches far more than I could ever imagine. So I would say that's the first piece is changing perspective on what impact actually means. And do you see it as just going broader? Do you see impact is actually going deep? Because I would argue that Jesus saw both as impactful. So I think that's the first piece. Man, the second piece of words of wisdom, man, I would say, gosh, um, man, it's tough. Like, so you're saying words of wisdom for someone who's like an African-American male that is interested in business or maybe not interested in business that wants to get like, yeah, I guess can you can give me a little more specifics.
0: No, I mean, it's just like there's this perception that an African American male cannot make it in corporate america yeah. and 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 I disagree because I see you, and I don't mean that nobody paved the way for you because I know your mom and dad, and they were instrumental in your success, I mean, you don't come from millions of dollars. No, 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 no. LeBron James can pave the way for his children. He can pay for them to have whatever they want. He can pay for them to have influence. But here I see you. I see you, an African-American male, and I see how your identity is in Christ. And here you are. You know, I don't see you as a as a black man. I see you as a child of God. I see you as a man who influences me for the better. And that's why I want to be associated with you. That's why I want to listen to you because I know that Jesus Christ is working in and through you. And I think what I'm trying to get people to understand is when you become a Christian, your identity is no longer in your race, in your national nationality. That's a part of who you are, but that's not your identity. And as you surrender all to Jesus Christ, you start to be transformed in Jesus Christ. Yeah. My whole point is, is, is you are a man who surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and look what Christ has done in your life. And here you are at Chick-fil-A corporate And just what's your words of wisdom for that 17, Mm. 19, 20 year old, you know, African-American male out there who still is being told that the odds are against him, that he can't make it in corporate Mm. America, that the white man is against him. Like, what are your words of wisdom for that?
1: Mm. Man, I would say, man, I would say two things. I would say one that, That there is a reality that in some corporations you may still face, like whether it's racism, segregation, in in hidden ways, you may still face that. I'm blessed that at Chick-fil-A I haven't experienced that. And I would say, man, a word of wisdom is that I think for me, what I was afraid of in high school and what I really longed for was for like my black brothers and sisters to say like, man, you fit in, like you're one of us. But I think about um, – man, Coach, I don't know if you ever saw
0: the show Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but um, Dude, I, I remember did, there was an episode. Did, hold on. I grew up on that show, man. <laughs> all right, oh, go Oh, yeah, okay. So, you know – yeah, okay. So, there was an
1: episode where Carlton, who was like Will's cousin, and he was more of the – like the term that people would use today is like an Oreo, right? Like he's black on the outside, but he's really a white person. Like cause he went to a private school and all that type of stuff. I mean, what was interesting is that when they were in college – Carlton wanted to pledge for this black fraternity that Will was a part of, and, and the guy didn't want to let him in because Carlton wasn't culturally black enough, and then there hit this point at the end of the episode where Carlton said, black isn't something I'm trying to be. It's what I am, and so, man, I would say the reason I start with that story is the encouragement I would give to someone who's 17, 18, 19, 20, like being smart doesn't make you less black, and like being articulate doesn't make you less black and like being interested in business doesn't make you less black that's just how the lord's wired you and that's the gifts he's given you to ultimately display more of himself through you so i would say man don't like don't feel the pressure to conform to what you think culturally black is because god has wired you uniquely fearfully and wonderfully made and ultimately the only stamp of approval you need is his like that's the encouragement i would give someone is like, don't be afraid to press into the books, into the reading, into the presentations and all that stuff, because you think that makes you white. In reality, that just means you're driven and hungry and passionate, and the Lord's given you that desire.
0: No, that, that, that's awesome words of wisdom, man. I just think, you know, what we have to get as Christians, the, the message that must be preached is your identity is in Jesus Christ. Do not let the world define to yeah. you what a black man is, what a white man is, what a Hispanic yeah. man is, what, what a Eastern Asian man is. Quit allowing the world, which is Satan to define who you are and let Jesus Christ define who you are. And it goes back to Galatians two twenty. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And, and so and that, I see you living that, Fred. Like, that's why I kind of ask you those questions because, I mean, that that's my goal and my dream for, for the African-American young men that I coach, that they will, that they would quit identifying with the world. Like, guess what? Odell Beckham is not the... That's not who God intended you to look just like. You don't have to strive to be Odell Beckham. You know, strive mm-hmm. to be... Who Christ has made you be it's it, it's the same thing you know that goes goes on with white kids you know like if you don't wear cowboy boots or or whatever farm boots or whatever that is that they yeah. then then you're not a then you're not a white guy you know you know and so it's it's the same thing you get it on both sides but you know there's so much and this leads to the next question there's so much
1: real quick before you say that man I'll I'll add one more thing to that I think Lecrae is a rapper who I like to listen to a lot of man he said a quote one time when he was talking at a conference I attended where he said I meant if you live for people's approval you'll die from their rejection and man I think that that resonated with me so clearly because for the kids who are saying like the well I got to be like Odell Beckham you may get approval from some, and if that's what you're craving, you may get that. But ultimately, man, Odell Beckham could be here today. The next fatter person could be there tomorrow, and then you don't have those same people's approval. So like, if you're living for that approval of man, you will also die from the rejection you receive from them.
0: No doubt. And another great quote, Fred, which is the same thing, comparison is the thief of all joy. Yeah you know, as you look around and you compare yourself to everybody else, I mean, shoot, everybody that graduated with you could look at Isaac Rochelle and you could compare it yourself with him. And Oh my goodness, he's making all this money. He's got all this fame, all this glory. My life sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm. Mm. but you know, comparison and, and honestly, Isaac probably looks at your life and sees the chaos of his life. And and, and not that, that, you know, Isaac's very well, you know, he's grounded guy, but, there's just a lot of pressure every single day for Isaac Rochelle to, to make the 53 man roster. We don't have to live with the pressure that Isaac Rochelle lives with each and every day as well. So he probably looks at our life like as freedom, you know? So, um, mm. you know, we, we look at people and we think, Oh, their life is so good. And, and then if you talk to them, they'll tell you why their life isn't so good, but comparison is the thief of all joy. It's a good quote too. So, here's the deal, man. You know, you got a, you got a white man, me talking a black man and you talking. There's so much, um, anger and hate, uh, you know, as, as you watch the news between white and black people in America, so perceived, right? So perceived. Cause, cause you know, in my circle I'm great friends with everybody and I refuse to be divided down white and black lines. Like it will not happen. Now we might be divided amongst, Christian lines, we might not agree on abortion or homosexuality, but but those are biblical issues for me. Black and white is not. That's who God created. Mm. So um what's the answer? Like what's what's Fred Odom's mm. thoughts on the whole thing?
1: Man, I think um I think the broad answer that I'll start off with, the short, simple word is is like the gospel is the answer, but I'm gonna flesh that out a little bit more. I think man, what the gospel does, along with like giving, giving us really life, like we were dead in our sins and now we've been made alive together with Christ Jesus. Like, like the gospel gives us that life. Yet what that life enables us to do is approach somebody who's completely different than us with authentic humility and authentic love. And man, I think those two words, like when you boil those down, like that's what starts to bring the unity. I mean, I'll give two perfect examples. So a few years ago, when I was still living in Austin, Texas, man, it, there's, there's shootings going on every day. But um, there was one in particular that happened where a, a police officer shot an African-American man who was in his car and his, his girlfriend was sitting right next to him recording the whole thing. And man, I remember watching that and then being one, absolutely terrified. And then two, I remember like, man, just sitting in my office and crying, like like just weeping. And man, coach, the first person to call me was a guy named Mike McKee, who is now my pastor at the church I'm attending. And man, all he did was call and just say, Fred, I'm praying for you. How can I listen? And man, that, that in itself just completely rocked me that like the first person who would reach out to me was a Caucasian man. And man, that's like what led him to do that is the gospel to not ask the first question of, well, was that person in the wrong situation? Or like, what did they do to provoke the officer? But just saying like, man, a life has been taken. Like, let me just weep with you. So I would say that was the first instance. The second instance actually happened earlier this week, where um, the stuff about Colin Kaepernick and the Nike shoes that had come out, and he's like standing up against that and saying that it stands for like some of the racism stuff in America. Like, do I feel as strongly and passionate about it as Colin Kaepernick does? No, not necessarily. However, as soon as that statement was released, two of my Caucasian brothers reached out to me and just said, Fred, can you help me understand his perspective? And man, the only thing that's able that enables them to do that is by having the gospel and Jesus in their heart and knowing that ultimately their identity isn't in their ancestors or what other people around them are doing, but their identity rests in Christ. And they can, they can then reach out to me in a humble posture and then a listening posture and say, Fred, I don't get it all. But man, I know that you and I have the same common foundation in who we are. So let's just have a conversation. I, mean, I would say like the gospel broad stroke is the answer, but specifically the gospel, which leads us to be able to approach people with humility and genuine love and stepping into their circumstances, like that's what's ultimately going to bridge this gap.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and there's no doubt. You know, when when the Colin Kaepernick thing, so I'm a I'm a yeah you know, I'm a white man who loves Nike. I have no idea why I love Nike so much. I blame my dad because I think it's all he bought us. From. <laughs> But, uh, you know, but I'm addicted to Nike. I love Nike. And so, you know, um, obviously, you know, I really don't care much about Colin Kaepernick. He's not a Christian. He's not a professing believer. So, honestly, I don't allow myself to be influenced by people who are of the world. And um, so you know, I don't, I don't get mad at Nike one way or the other. I look at, I look at Nike as, as a business and they're going to do what's best for their bottom line. Like everybody thinks that Nike's trying to, uh, be political. They're not trying to be political. They're trying to make money. That's their objective. And so, but when the Colin Kaepernick thing happened, a few things, (laughs) one, I, I have no idea who Betsy Ross is. Two, and maybe I didn't pay attention well in history, I don't know. (laughs) Two, I really didn't understand the circle flags of the American flag. Um, So I instantly thought, well, I'm not going to judge Colin Kaepernick or Nike. Now, all my white friends are going insane, right? Now, I'm I'm friends with everybody. so. Mm I'm I'm talking with, with, with some black people and they're talking about it. And my white friends are going crazy. I hate Nike. Never buy something Nike ever again, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so I'm like, I I don't know why Colin Kaepernick was against this. So I, I, so I decided to do this. I didn't, I didn't call anybody and ask any questions. I went back and started reading About who Betsy Ross was, the flag, and honestly, I was up till like 12:30 last night, and I was reading yeah. about because because this happened to this happened, Fred. I was uh, somebody posted something on either on Facebook or Twitter yesterday, July 4th, and they posted the thing. I guess the end of the Declaration of Independence where it says all men are created equal. So I instantly thought in my mind caused the Colin Kaepernick thing. Well, what's a black man think? about July 4th, Independence Day, when he sees all men were created equal, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's gonna think, well, no, back in 1776, all men were not created equal. So I started going yeah. back and reading about that. And this is stuff that I didn't even think about. <clears throat> this, the, the, the white men who were in America in 1776, Columbus got here in 1492. So the British and Spain countries owned America. And so the slave trade was controlled by the British. And so, you know, and I just think about how God was working. America wasn't America in 1700. It was a colony basically of New England, Britain. And so Mm. these people, Many and I read about this, many Christians were the reason why you get it to to uh, why America fought for its independence, and they knew that slavery was wrong, but they could do nothing about slavery because Britain controlled it. the Britain ships were the ones going down there uh, getting getting Africans and bringing them and it was a huge industry and I just think about the the how God has worked. And so, okay, in 1776, I think that's the date, America gets its independence. And then a hundred years later, maybe more, you have the Civil War. And then a hundred years later, you have the Civil Rights Movement. And now here we are, and pretty much every man is free. Do we have problems? Do we have issues that we still got to work through? Yes. But I'm like, man, we can really value. America as a free country when we think about in 1700, this was not America. And the people that came over here in 1492, they were, they were of British, of Spanish, of all, they came from all over the world seeking riches. And man, I don't think we really truly understand Independence Day and what they were fighting independence from and why they fought the war. And then we see the work of God in the, in the freedom of the black man. And so, yeah, I mean, I understand that man is sinful and, dude, for, and the white man was evil, but not all white men were evil. And, and in fact, when you go, yeah. and the man who wrote Amazing Grace, I think his name was John Newton, right? I know his last name was Newton. He was a slave trader. He came to Mm. Christ, and then he was the one that God used to really start the freedom of the slave trade in Britain, which led to America. But we don't understand history. And so... Mm. And you talk about talking with each other and communicating with each other and being able to have dialogue with each other without being enraged. Like, I know that Fred Odom faces racism that I don't face, but we need to be able to talk and communicate with each other without getting angry with each other. It's like like you said, well, I don't understand why all of of the of African Americans are going crazy at a police shooting. But Fred, help me understand. I have people that I call as well, like help me understand. I don't understand. Um but you know what? It's a unity that comes from Jesus Christ. And without yeah. Jesus Christ, I don't think you have unity. I'll let you speak for No a it's yeah, man.
1: I mean I think yeah. I mean, one coach, I think what you did that was extremely admirable is that you didn't just follow the Facebook feeds to develop your opinion, but you actually did research and like looked into history and developed your opinion through that way. I so, mean, I think that's one just admirable to like remove the emotion out of it and just like look at the fact and then develop an opinion. And man, I would say to your final point about like Jesus being the only one that can bridge that divide, like, Man, Jesus has been in the business of of bridging disparate parties, like since he came to this earth, whether that was like Jews and Gentiles saying, like, there is no longer that, but we are all one under Christ Jesus. And then ultimately, like, God and man bridging that gap where he's saying, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, man, both horizontally and vertically, Jesus has done all the bridging that could ever be done. And now, like any reconciliation we experience today, is in result and in light of the bridging that Jesus has already done. But I firmly believe that without Jesus, man, no bridging can happen, because transparently, there's no reason to bridge if you don't have Jesus. There's literally no reason to, why should I understand another perspective? But when you're looking through the lens of, man, this Savior, who probably couldn't understand my perspective, came and took on flesh, lived the life that I couldn't live, died the death that I couldn't die, suffered all that sacrifice, was raised from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for me. When I look at that, okay, yeah, I can seek to understand your perspective a little bit more.
0: Absolutely. It goes back to Philippians 2. What what did God command us to do? What did Jesus command us to do? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, all I am, if all I am as a sinner, and this is true. Apart from Jesus Christ, I'm all about myself. I'm about my glory, my honor, my fame, my pursuit of money, my pursuit of excellence. It's me, 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 me. So why should I understand, Fred Odom? You're just standing in my way of me. You're either helping me get glory or you're standing in my way. But here's Jesus saying, no, 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 no. And Jesus was king, came down on the cross for our sins. And he set the example, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count yourselves as insignificant. And so that's why I am to seek another man's opinion. Please help me understand what I do not know. But if you are not humble, you mm. will never seek to understand another man's perspective. And that's why Jesus—it's—it's—it's—he is countercultural. He is transformational, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's so crazy. It's like man, I was a slave. And so are you. I was a slave until Jesus Christ opened my eyes and he showed me you're not the only person that exists. This world mm. is this for your glory. And there's so much freedom in that. You know, there's so much freedom in in wanting to know and desiring to know another man's perspective. Man, I coach,
1: I completely agree and I would say For anyone who's listening is at a point where it's like, man, I don't know what to say or how to begin the conversation. I would challenge with one statement, which a pastor shared that silence never communicates empathy. So, like, silence isn't an option. But then, like, you don't know exactly what to say. Man, I think about Hebrews 4, where it says, For we do not have a Savior who, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us them with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, man, for those of you who don't know what to say, like, You have the access to the Father through Jesus to approach the throne of grace and present, like, just present yourself openly, freely, plainly, and ask God to give you those words to then go out and be part of that reconciliation movement.
0: And here's a good example I was thinking while you were talking. You know, like when you get angry with your wife in your flesh, okay? Maybe this is just me, but I'm going to be I'm going to be honest and transparent. In my flesh, when I get angry with my wife, and the longer we've been married and the more the Lord sanctifies me, the less we have big arguments. You know, but there's times where, you know, I completely disagree with her and we completely do not see eye to eye and she sees a situation one way and I see it completely opposite and it boils over into anger and so in my flesh in my anger i do not want to talk to her i do not want to see her i certainly don't want to listen to her perspective because she is dead wrong Mm. as far Mm. as i'm concerned and i'll have this moment where i'm like lord i'm I'm leaving i'm just going to move to california i'm leaving I, I just don't ever want to be married. Don't want to, I'm just want to be by myself for the rest of my life. And that's what I'm going to do. Never going to talk to her again, blah, 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 blah. And then the Holy Spirit just whispers, no, you're not. You're going to go apologize, and, and you're going to go listen to her and you're going to communicate. And I think communicates the big thing. And so then I'm like, you know, the whole, yes, yes. You know, you can't argue with the Holy Spirit. All right you know, what you, well, you kind of do for a minute, you know, like, oh, I got to do it. I got to go back. I can't, I can't just fly to California and leave everything behind and live by myself, you know, surfing or whatever you do in California. But, um, I go to my wife and as we communicate, I see all the stupid things that I did and, and the reason mm. why she's mad at me. And I see the same thing in race relations. Like if we just sit there and we don't talk to each other, but we just, we just rage and anger in our own state of, of opinion, then we never understand the other person's perspective. And then Fred, you know what the other bad thing we do in our marriages is you might get mad at your wife and 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 you've never done this, but you might call me just to tell me, just you just want to talk about how evil and bad your wife is. So you're talking about mm-hmm. how evil and bad your wife is, and then I'm like, Oh my gosh, Fred, your wife is evil and bad. And then I go tell my wife how evil and bad your wife is. And all of a sudden a whole group of people down here in McDonough, Georgia think that your wife is evil and bad. It's the same thing in our relationships with, with people of the opposite color. We get into our little groups, our little communities, like the, all the little, all the white people, and they just talk with each other about how stupid and dumb the black people are. And then the black people get together in their little communities and their so-called, And they just talk about how stupid and dumb the white people are. And then all of a sudden you have these two factions of people that hate each other. You see it in your marriages and you see it in race relations, and it's all because nobody's communicating.
1: And man, Coach Guest, I'll even add to that. We, we had a, a meeting last week for work, and someone gave this example, but I think it applies here, where he said, you know, Fred, when you go on a mission trip, like people come back with this amazing love for the entire country, but really what that love is rooted in is one little kid they met who they now have a heart for and they built a relationship with. And that relationship spans across that entire country now. And there's nothing they wouldn't do for it. And there's no kind of passion they wouldn't have for it because of that one relationship. And so I mean, I think part of the challenge is we generalize this so much to black and white and we don't get down to just like coach guest Fred Odom. I mean, I would say the challenge would be from this conversation, if you can have one authentic relationship with one person who's not the same gender, ethnicity, whatever it is as you, and be able to talk with them freely, like, I believe God can use that as a catalyst to give you love for an entire culture. But it starts with just one.
0: Absolutely. And and as people are listening to this, you can't just choose somebody that thinks just like you. Exactly. You know, it's like, you know, there there's a Colin Kaepernick out there in your community. Go and befriend him and understand him. And in turn, maybe he will understand you. And in turn, maybe now you have unity. And and and, and maybe the answer could have been, well, let's let's not put the flag with 13 stars on it. Let's put the flag of America today where all you know. Of of unity. And and, and so the flag of America today, it represents all the things that America has been through to make America great where it is right now, the freedom that we have in America right now. And we're not where we need to be, but we're constantly striving uh, for excellence. You know, of course, you know, me even saying that, Fred, would, would drive white people crazy. You know, they'd be like, oh, you don't want the star. I don't even, and, and if you, you know, here's this crazy thing, Fred. If you were to ask some, a lot of, if you were to go on the street and ask white people, what's, what's the flag with 13 stars on it? They wouldn't even know. And, mm. you know, it's, it's so crazy how how dumb we all are. You know, now, I'll be ostracized by the white people for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't care. Like and um, my identity is in Christ, not, not being white. But hey, last thing, Fred, man, we could talk all day, right? So, um, you know, like one cool thing about you, man, is you dream big, and uh, and I'll tell people all day long, like, man, it's 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 not wrong to dream but you got to understand that the Lord is in control of your life and the Lord will pave your steps. And you know, the Lord might call you to missions three years from now. He might call me to missions three years from now. We do not Mm. know. He doesn't necessarily care that, that, you know, Fred be the president of the United States or be high up in Chick-fil-A that might be his plans for your life. But, but ultimately he might call you to be a missionary. Um, we have no idea, but it's fun to dream. And I think God allows us to do it. And, and you dreamed about working for Chick-fil-A corporate and it's become a reality. What is Fred Odom's goals in life? And I, and I know, Mm. I know Fred, I know it's to be a loving husband, a faithful father, and a man who's going to impact the world for Jesus Christ. But man, if you could look into the future, and and man, this is my goal. This is my dream. What would it be?
1: Oh, man,
0: I um, man, I think I'll break
1: it into into man. I think two buckets. That man, even as you said, like the 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 assumed part of it is the loving father, loving husband, all those types of things. But I think, man, what I've been challenged with is it's easy for me to dream like me and Becca still being in love like forty years from now. But the reality is, like, that just doesn't happen. So, man, I think my big dream for my marriage is that that when we would still be, like, fully in love with each other 40, 50 years from now, and, man, like, what that would actually look like is, is man, opening our home to others and, like, discipling younger couples or going on mission trips together or, like, just being extremely generous with whatever it is the Lord's given us. Like, man, I think that's my big dream for marriage right now is that, like, that I would know my wife far better in 50 years than I do today. And we wouldn't just naturally drift along. And then I think, man, for work stuff, man, I, I do have the desire to continue to grow my career at Chick-fil-A in whatever capacity the Lord gives me. Um, man, I've landed on this like kind of purpose or life mission statement, if you will. And that's to leverage my gifts to bring the dreams of other people to life. And so, man, for my wife, that's encouraging her in her career. For my work stuff, man, it's just using the gifts God's given me to ultimately to elevate others. So like, whatever capacity I can do that in at the greatest extent that the Lord can use me to have the biggest impact for him, man, I think that's what my dream would be. I've kind of taken off the need to be the the president of Chick-fil-A one day. Like, I've let go of dreams like that and more so holding on to the type of man I want to be one day. So I would say that's my big dream right now.
0: (laughs) Man, that is awesome, Fred. But let me tell you what's encouraging for me as a football coach and being able to coach guys like you. It's when... You know, you're 26 years old and you've become a you've become a man that can influence me and encourage me and motivate me. That 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 is a blessing from the Lord, a treasure from the Lord that I could never have articulated back when I was 27 and first became the head football coach at Eagles Landing Christian Academy. And that's a that's a treasure and a rich a riches that God has given me and blessed me with. And so I just want you to know, man, you are a blessing. Uh a treasure, uh, from the Lord for, for me. And, uh, man, you're such an encouragement you're not just an encouragement to me. You're an encouragement to a lot of people. And so, um, you know, as we, as we finish, man, I want to pray for you and just let you know how proud of you I am. Um, and to just keep on keeping on, (laughs) man. Thank you, coach. (laughs) Yeah, man. Let's pray. Lord, we're coming for you today. I just want to praise and thank you for loving us, Lord. I just praise and thank you, uh, Lord, first and foremost, for dying on the cross for our sins, Lord. And then, Lord, sending your Holy Spirit that opens up our eyes and our hearts to your truth. And then, Lord, not just leaving us in our sin state, but transforming us, Lord. And I see what you have done in Fred's life, Lord. And I just pray you would continue to mold and shape him into your image, Lord, that you would use him to transform and redeem the culture Lord that he would continue to grow in his relationship with his life and be a leader uh, grow in his relationship with his wife and be a leader for her and lead her as as the man uh, that you want him to be and Lord I pray for her flourishing as, as a, a woman of Jesus Christ Lord I pray for both of them as they work in the world Lord, that they would shine as lights uh, an ambassador and be ambassadors for your kingdom, uh, Lord. And I just praise and thank you for the encouragement that I get from Fred and Lord and how he influences me and leads me. And I just pray you will continue to bless his steps. We thank you for his mom and his dad and, and the, what they poured into him and the foundation that they laid in him for him to to become the man that he is today. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Fred. Amen. Man, thank you for having me, Coach. Yes, sir. All right, man. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you soon, Coach. Bye.
1: Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that see rich like me I once was lost oh but now right now I found was blind oh now